Hi everyone, this is Spacetown and you're listening to What Happens to Chiptune. Today's guest is Kale Jonsson, aka Dubmood. Dubmood is the owner of the net label Data Airlines and also a prolific musician with roots in the demo scene and most famously a member of the long-running wares and demo group Razor1911. I was so excited to get Dubmood on the show because one of the blind spots I've always had with my conception of the history of Chiptune has always been its relationship with the demo scene. We talk about the demo scene, its often antagonistic relationship with the budding chiptune scene, and what it meant to be a participant in both. Hello, um, this is uh, this is Space Town, and uh, I'm I'm talking with Dubmood, who um, is you know I'm I'm really glad to have you on the podcast. Um, as I said in like literally 15 seconds before I got on the record, um, it, it's. You know, I, I feel like you have been part of both the chiptune scene and the demo scene for a really long time. And one of my personal blind spots with uh, my conception of the scene in terms of like chiptune and uh, where it stands in like the global scene and its relation to other music scenes um, is actually with uh, the demo scene and kind of uh, with a lot of like the pre-2000 stuff. Uh I, I, you know, I just wasn't old enough to like be caring about music in that way <laughs> back then. So there's a lot of um, historical context that I was missing as I, um, as I kind of like made my way up through the chiptune scene. So um, it's really cool to 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 be able to talk to you and and yeah. So hello, uh, thanks you for thank you for having me and thank you for for making this podcast. Thank thank you for taking your time to to do this. Um, so <clears throat> one of the like normally. I like to just kind of get into like what the history, like your history with music is and, you know, just talk about like, how did you find out about chiptune and like what, what made you want to make it and all of that stuff. But I think for this episode, I think it's worth kind of getting a little bit broader in terms of just like what the, what my intention for this episode is and kind of what your intention for this episode is too, because I, you know, we had a kind of interesting uh, initial meeting, right? Where you reached out to me, you said you wanted to kind of like fill me in on a lot of like the pre, uh, pre-aughts stuff, pre-2000 stuff. And, um, and you know, I, I think that that's a really important historical context for what ended up becoming like what I conceived of as the chiptune scene before. Um, and, you know, when we were having that, that meeting, you know, you said something really profound to me and something really interesting to me, which was basically that you were struck by how different our experiences were, right? Where um, you have just been doing your thing for, for, you know, for a long, long time. And for me, it's like, I kind of like, did a bunch of it and then flamed out really quickly uh just kind of in as as time spans go um it you know i i i i did a lot of stuff had a lot of energy and then burned out of that energy and we we just had such different experiences participating in this kind of overarching music scene of chiptune and that's why you wanted to to talk to me about this um so it's kind of a, it it's a really interesting uh, contrast for for both of us um and uh, you know I, I feel like the fact that you do have so much history is probably going to explain what 
you know, why, uh, <laughs> why for me, it's this thing that you can go into and out of. And for you, it's more of, you know, it's just something that happens. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like uh, <laughs> over a long period of time. It's life. <laughs> Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, but totally. Yeah, and yeah. I was, I was really, as I, as I told you, I was really moved by, by, uh, by your intro, your podcast intro, like uh, your experience with Shipkune, because I can like totally uh, feel you, because I had similar experiences with like other uh, subcultures. Uh, but Shipkune for me was always like that stable thing that was there from from the beginning and will be there to the end. So uh, I never even thought of Shiptune in that way, really, before like I listened to your introduction podcast, and uh, yeah, it really moved me, and I felt like I need to, I need to speak with you, and like, uh, <laughs> like ease, ease your ease your conscience a little bit about Shiptune because there's there's another there's another side to it that you need to know, and I think that you know I. I I think to to clarify with you know the podcast, I I definitely don't think that like the production techniques or you know the the workflow or methodology is going to um, go away, right? And I I think that there's a lot of like you know, f but for me, chiptune was always kind of more of like a cultural phenomenon for me, and and you know, and so it's easy to kind of mix the two together, and you know, and. I, for me, it, it, what like this answer to like what is chiptune changes like every single day, almost maybe every hour, just depends on how how, how I'm feeling at the time. So, it I, I think that we're, we're going to get to that in our conversation about just like how our different conceptions of chiptune or how people's different conceptions of chiptune kind of like reflects the way that people participate in the scene or or like outside of the scene or whatever. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I think before we get into to like chiptune, chiptune, right? <laughs> um, I want to talk about um, the the demo scene, right? Because that is um, that is a big part of the the origin story of what chiptune is. Um, and unfortunately, I just don't have like a very uh, comprehensive knowledge of what the demo scene is. I, I know very generally. Um, it's kind of like a, 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 a more of a European subculture related to kind of like wares and hacking culture. Uh, it's it's competition oriented. It's a lot of, um, you know, mixing visuals with music. But if you can kind of like give me a, a better, <laughs> give me in the audience a better and more comprehensive understanding of demo scene, well, um, I think that that would be really maybe, cool. Maybe I could actually um, do two things at once. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about about the demo scene and even better about what where the demo scene came from like the, the crack scene the wear scene and at the same time tell you how about how i found out about about chip tune because because well, that's two, actually one of the yeah. questions in my notes because the two the two things <laughs> so are very uh, so inter like because i really grew up and uh, in, in 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 it inside it so uh I recently uh, spent some time uh, at my parents' house in, back in Sweden to clean out the, the, the attic, the attic with all the old computer gears, and I found all my old floppies from the uh, like from when I was literally uh, like a six six to twelve year old, my Atari floppy disks. Yeah, and I, I noticed uh, I'm starting with this because it's kind of maybe tell the story. I noticed how. On all these floppies, I had they, they were games, right? They were 
pirated games mostly. Some some retail games, but mostly pirated. And I had um, noted with a big marker as a score how much I enjoyed the crack intro of each game. <laughs> and that made me laugh because... Uh, and also, I don't think I, don't think I had the... Uh, concept really of piracy because on the retail games it just said no intro <laughs> as in as in <laughs> no no crack throw boring boring uh and that's exactly where it all began because i remember my first maybe probably not the first time i heard music because i mean that you're too young to remember that but the first time like and I, I noticed music and it was when my elder brother um booted up a pirate game on the Atari ST and uh, I did the math and I must be like five or maybe six years old uh, and like I was like perplexed I was I was hooked directly like I, I started crying because he hit escape to play the game because I wanted to like see the crack intro uh, just to hear the music and I, I think from there on like I knew this is like this is what I want to do um uh this is what i want to do with my life like this is this is music then then uh it took some time before i got into it but what a crack intro is or was back then for the people who don't know is basically uh the difference between like game consoles like the nintendo and then the contemporary computers of the time like the atari sd or the commodore was that there was a lot more pirate software going about because those systems were open contrary to a nintendo which is a closed closed system so it came much more naturally to like copy software with floppies and uh, the software developers didn't like this so they put different they attempted to prevent this with different software methods like uh, what you would call a copy protection and of course because it's computers people would try to remove these protections and it became kind of a challenge uh for some uh so people like bunched together in groups uh to remove the protections and then spread the the pirate software uh not not for any any profit at all this i mean this was it was teenage years doing this they did it for for fun like for the for the laws <laughs> um and to like get bragging rights about who cracked because that's the name of like you cracked uh, uh, uh software protection you cracked the game mm -hmm. uh you, like who got the bragging rights was the group that did it the first and to fully enjoy these bragging rights they started using whatever was left in terms of memory on the on the disc uh to add like uh images or text or like text scholars like bragging about it and this <laughs> if you read this text today it's kind of funny because it's so obvious that it's written by young <laughs> young adults teenagers <laughs> yeah. uh, and those those text intros or images started to get more and more advanced uh and grew into what we then called intros crack intros uh where like with graphics with music at this time the music was taken from from games contemporary games and and these like endless scrollers as we call them as like text scrolls like text scrolling on the screen where they where they uh talked about anything really like they are always started out bragging a bit 
then flaming some groups they don't like, greeting some other crack groups, <laughs> uh, then talking bullshit like sharing code, uh, sharing jokes, uh, whatever. Um, and this was before internet, so to get your hands of these, you had to trade floppies. And uh, in my case, uh, my dad traded floppies at his workplace with colleagues, and they got them from like somebody. Somebody would probably have a, a like a dial-up connection modem and uh, called BBSs, like bulletin board systems, which was you know your social media pre-internet <laughs> um, to download words and. Uh, this whole world of, of groups competing to crack software exists offline at the time because there was no internet. And eventually, uh, some people started enjoying the art of making these intros uh, more than just like the, the game, the play of like cracking them and spreading them and being the first. Uh, so they started making these intros, but without any crack related stuff like just just the art art yeah part. and they call them demos as in demonstrations like i don't know if they wanted to demonstrate what they could do with the computer or what the computer could do or maybe both because uh i mean this was still strange times if you compare today to today because everybody would have the same hardware like if you had a commodore you would have the exact same like CPU and memory as anybody else. So, uh, so much of the art in programming and, and doing music on these computers came down to how, how good you were at exploiting whatever hardware, like the limitations. And that's very much like the Game Boy scene that you're familiar with. Uh, uh, and this demo scene, I mean, since it came from the crack scene, which was competitive, because, uh, I mean, uh, it was about cracking the, the games yeah. the best and best way, the most optimized way and the fastest. And, uh, I mean, the demo scene came, came out of that, was born out of that. So the demo scene was in nature also competitive because you would usually have the same groups, like the crack groups, competing in demos. And then this, this phenomena called copy parties would, would pop up where people would travel with their computers to like um, a school gymnasium or a, or a basement somewhere and like uh, get together, uh, have a party and, and share, share software and code and, and organize what they call demo compost, where groups would compete uh, in demos. Like everybody would show, show off their demos and then everybody would vote. Uh, who who made the best demo, and uh, these copy parties would turn into demo parties because it would become more about the demo part of it than than the copying and the wares part, and there would be more and more groups popping up that didn't crack software anymore, that only made demos. Even though at this time, I mean, we're mid mid to late eighties, uh, most most groups involved in the scene would like have a their main activity would still be worse yeah. yeah yeah so then came the amiga and uh because of the software uh, the hardware or the hardware limitations 
uh, of the sound wasn't there anymore because I mean even though I'm Atari I'm an Atari guy <laughs> I have to give it to the Amiga that it had a better sound chip so kind of the the, the, the ship music as 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 we we know it today disappeared for a while I'd, I'd say because uh, I mean sound tracker came out and and then everybody everything was sample based and uh, and then <laughs> because because ship tune is so great right it like immediately popped up again because some people using the Amiga was like missing the old Atari or Commodore 64 sound, right? So they would start using really small samples that they looped. Uh, like we're talking about a couple of bytes. Like, I don't know, maybe they, maybe they took one of the samples from the sample packs of the soundtrack or whatever. And they just like, removed as much information as possible to get the smallest possible sample and like looping it so it would sound like a simple sound wave even though a bit um, a bit noisy but um and they would try to imitate chip music uh and they called chip tune or i don't know who who coined the phrase chip tune the first time i heard it was a guy called nuke from a group called anarchy but I think that uh, his ship tune called ship tune wasn't the first ship tune called ship tune. <laughs> I think I think I think a guy called Format Matt Simmons, also from Anarchy, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, was the guy that called it a ship tune for the first time. But it's an interesting uh, thing that like um, the, the the word like ship music and ship tune, because it's kind of like the difference between uh live music and recorded music before before there was recorded music before we could record music i mean music would just be music right and then when music recording started to appear then people would have to like make a difference and like call it live music and recorded music and i think before the amiga like computer music hip music it was just music, right? It's just music, but on computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you have to differentiate it from the new kind of 16 bits, 8 bit uh, samples. Uh, so then the ship, ship music term came back because I mean, it's music made with ships. And then the ship tune was music that was made to sound like, sound like ship tune. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it seems there's this kind of, yeah, it's almost like, um it's almost like a digital recreation of the of that transition from uh live music to recorded music to live music again and there's like a there's an interesting reappraisal of what music means every time that shift happens right where you you have to suddenly contend with what um you know like yeah music is music just being music on a computer is you know you, you just you 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 put the the floppy in and it's just playing there right and then all of a sudden you you bring the the sampled aspect into it and then when when people get nostalgic for the non-sampled aspects it you know all of these reconfigurations of what music is and what what um people's perceptions of what music is really um kind of complicates these things and and I think that like it's it's interesting to hear that chip tune or like the demo scene, it's it's always kind of been related to video games, or it's always kind of been related to like software in general, where it's just like we need to find a way to um 
it, it just has its roots in in trying to uh, you know get software for money for free and yeah it it it, it always has this like obsession with the, the the limitations at the time and trying to work through um try, trying to find some sort of like artistic or creative way to um get rid of those like you know get rid of to to crack the software right it, it's interesting to me that there's always been such like a a creative sense or a, 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 like people's desire to be creative comes through even in the most like, you know, even in the strangest way, which is just like whatever memory we have left on this crack, we're going to use it to do whatever we want. And, and yeah, but that's them. the thing that's so, uh, so, so great with shift tune, right? It's because, because it's so limited, like both, both the, the possibilities, what you can do with it. And also the, the sound palette, in itself is so limited. So uh, it gives so much more uh, space and freedom and liberty to your imagination to like add what's missing. And that's what's so stimulating with chiptune. Like you could, you could imagine whatever, whatever you want uh, on top of those square waves. I mean, some people that lack the imagination, they will only hear the, the bleeps and the noise, right? And they would, they won't get it. They won't get it at all. And then, like anybody who has the um, like <laughs> the least creative brain would like start to to take mm -hmm. on those on those like on what's on what's lacking, and like their yeah. brain would add the rest. And then the live music thing. I was thinking when you're saying that maybe the next step in, in that would be um, we would have to call it human music because like the go-to <laughs> music would be AI. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We are we are we are actually uh, reaching another one of those um, reappraisals of of this at this point. Um, kind of stepping back to to what you were saying about like, you know, the, this idea of a person who who can't speak the language, as it were, of like of of the this this low bit like this this kind of like uh, this aesthetic. Um, they just hear bleeps and bloops and it's whatever. Um, I, I've always kind of imagined video games in this in a similar way, exactly, right? Exactly. Where it's I, I I find that the most interesting video games are not the ones that give you like full control over everything that a character can do. I've, I I haven't been super like into the idea of like virtual reality in a game right where you have full control over your arms and you can look around and stuff like that because to me the so much of what makes video games interesting is like the developers ideas of what happens when in between you pressing a button and what happens on screen after you press the button and your mind is the thing that's supplying that imagination between the button press and the action that happens on the screen so it's interesting to kind of like hear that reflected in in chip tune and chip music as well where it's like you you have to bring a little bit of yourself into it right you have to use some of your imaginary uh, imaginative or creative tools to like bridge the gap between what sounds just like bleeps and bloops to an average person versus like what that that's like a killer guitar solo or like it's a uh you know it's a chorus of strings right exactly. there, there's some yeah. sort of, and that's where to me the creativity comes from is that is 
that space between the input and the the output that comes out from the screen or the or the the exactly like a, te a testimony so. of what you're say of what you're saying is, is simply the like re the revival of the indie game scene like uh, that indie games would become so big instead of like triple a like <laughs> i don't know um it's, it's, um, what's what's the latest big game? Uh, Star Starfield, yeah. Like, uh, why would people still like go to? Yeah, why why would why does so much so many people still prefer like Hotline Miami, or 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 like those kind of uh, low pixel, almost ugly sense games? And it's I mean, some people just need to have that extra space that their own creativity can fill. They don't want to have like they don't want to be fed with the whole the whole biscuit right they want they want to add something of mm -hmm. their own to it and and i, I think we are, we are we are all like wired differently in our heads and i mean some of us just need to have some more imaginative space some people end up doing drugs to explore that part instead and some people go into creative mode like i mean it's uh, and some people do both. Yeah, exactly. you know, there's, <laughs> there's all, you know, room for all sorts of people in, you know, in this creative world of ours. Um, so, you know, that, that was a, I mean, that, I, I feel like that was a really comprehensive um, explanation of, of demo scene, uh, a kind of its roots. Uh, and, and yeah, you, you mentioned that a kind of, um, the, there ended up being these like copy parties that, that ended up happening where, and, and the focus turned a little bit more to the actual demos than it did to like the wares and, and the, the cracks and things like that. Um, do you have a sense of like why that shift happened, right? Like why it's, it kind of slowly moved away from like actually like the, the super pragmatic functional thing of, pirating software to this interesting um you know th this like oh like let's see what we can do with these with these limitations with like visuals and music together uh, it's a good question i was still a little bit young and a little bit on the outside like i was still not participating i was just consuming demos at this time uh we're like we're like early 90s right now right um i would say that uh one of the like a simple reason is that there were more people who wanted to make demos than there were like software being released <laughs> that that could be cracked right so there was more more intros going around than than games that needed intros and also that uh, the groups established group at the time like uh, racer and and uh, fairlight was yeah early days of fairlight and like scoople scoopix and uh, they were so well established and so dominant. Um, so there was, they almost had like a monopoly on cracking the games the fastest because they were so good at it and had such a good uh, supplier network. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that if you want to go into the working, exact workings, detailed workings of the wear scene, that could be an interesting, that's a whole other podcast. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a different yeah, podcast. I that's feel something like. for Darknet Diaries, yeah. I think. Anyway, um, uh, so like that's that's probably the simplest reason. Uh, I don't. I mean, there were some people in the demo scene that were out outspoken anti-piracy guys, but they were really a minority. Like uh, still at this time, most people were too young to work in the software industry. Like so, they were still just teenagers. So I think that's the, the most plausible explanation. Yeah, it, I mean, it seems so interesting to me because it's like it. it 
it, it, it kind of speaks to what we were talking about just, just previously, where it's like, if people are, it, this idea of people running out of software to crack, right? There, and, and, Instead of trying to to find ways to access like functional software, like productivity software or, or whatever, or even like video games or what, it's it's so interesting to me to see like all these young people's creativity just come in to fill in the gaps of like, well, we're out of software to to pirate, we're out of like stuff to do. What do we do here? Yeah. Let's just like make music and make these like trippy visuals and see what we but, can see what comes. But out like, of let it. let me let me try to bring you into into the mind of like a '90s teenager like like myself at this time. I mean, the ni- the '90s was was weird in the way that I think it was the, the time when like the uh, like for example the big record labels had the most monopoly of like what music got produced and released, and then especially if you're a young teenager from a like rural rural community or a small town or like the suburbia uh, in in like in Scandinavia because the demo scene is very big in Scandinavia it's almost like in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where he explains like why there is no real interest uh, no entry of earth in the encyclopedia and it's like yeah but you're like a small backwater planet on like a um, like a small galactic arm as the like furthest outside of the galaxy and that's exactly how it felt to grow up offline because there was no internet remember this is early 90s so there is no internet at all there is nothing else in like the, the bleak suburbia the commercial radio stations uh i mean if you don't live in a capital there were, there were you had no access to like rave parties uh or like punk gigs it was like nothing of that existed at least not for us and in Scandinavia. Um, so downloading these crack intros and reading the scrollers, it's like you, somebody, it's like somebody opened a window into an, like a, it was like our Narnia in the closet, you know, it was, uh, the, the window to an, a parallel world where, where that, that felt so magic, especially to, to a young adult, uh, like all these strange terms and all these flaming going on and <laughs> the greetings and like this, the weird code <laughs> snippets and like uh, the hacking because there was a lot of hacking and freaking going on uh, parallel to this. Uh, I mean, it was, it was like the most exciting thing that could happen to a teenager from a, from a small town at that point. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so engraved in my brain. Like still, still today when I turn on the Atari, uh, the, the smell, the smell of the, like the plastic of the Atari getting warm is like it's, it's like ecstasy because I remember the exact same feeling. Uh, yeah, so growing up offline was 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 weird, man. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it's it's easy to take for granted these days because like now the thing is everyone's trying to get offline. Yeah. You know, it's it's so hard to get away from and and you know the 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 monopolies that you were talking about have have only become like more <laughs> more monopolies in in a, in a more like comprehensive way where now like yeah to to get away from these big software companies or even to get away from from stuff like Spotify or just like whatever popular music like distribution platform is playing to you at the time it feels like you are that's the narnia it's like kind of reversed uh in in that way or it's like now that that hidden world of 
um, of like excitement and danger and intrigue is not online. It is actually offline in, in these like communities that you have never heard of um, that are very much that are very much defined by not being on the grid as it were. So it's it, it, like, it's so weird that like literally in like 20, 30 years, it just like completely reversed. Um, and it kind of feels like a good opportunity to talk about like the, the chiptune scene that I know, right. Where it starts becoming, a uh, you know, like for me, the first time I had heard of chiptune was the New York scene. With like Blip Festival, Pulse Wave, um, Bit Shifter, Null Sleep, um, you know, Peter Swim, all, all of those people. Like when when did you start like noticing this like new conception of like chiptune or or these like artists uh, doing these things? Like w like when did you notice it and like what what did you what were you thinking about like what they were doing as opposed to what was happening in in the demo scene? Okay, to, to answer that, I think I'll, I'll have to give a very long answer to like really put this in context, because I mean we're we okay, <laughs> all right. So sorry for a long monologue. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're I'm, still I'm like in the it, in the so. mid '90s demo scene, right? Uh, and during this time, uh, there isn't much ship tune going around, because even though people there were a few guys like Nuke and like Format and. And like WOTV and, and Animal and Pink uh, and Heatbeat. Yeah, okay, there were a few guys <laughs> uh, making ship tunes. I mean, there were still, for every one guy making ship tunes on the Amiga, there was probably a hundred guys making non ship tune music, right? And the demo scene had, had, as the demo scene pushed towards innovation and like breaking the boundaries of what hardware can do, uh, it had completely moved on from from ship tune. So when I got like when I got old enough to get around how to use a tracker, uh so like I was what 10, 11 years old, uh people would like oh no, stop making old school shit. I mean, come on. You can like you got to you, you can make 16-bit samples like make some rave, make some trance, make some goa trance. <laughs> and and I was like I was hey, I've been waiting five years for this I want to make ship tunes. Um, so in the demo scene there wasn't much ship tune going on. We were a really small community within a big community uh, doing this. So like everything happened on IRC right back in those days. Uh, there were a couple of websites that that had like archives of of modules like Mod Archive and Tracks in Space. And Amiga Music Preservation was probably not around yet. Um, so we were all hanging out on IRC uh, because demo parties didn't even have ship compos, ship music competitions. And we would like juries would often not accept ship music in the four channel music competitions <laughs> because everybody hated old school, uh, like mid 90s. So we were having these one hour ship music compos uh on irc like every night everybody logged on went into tracks which was like the big uh, tracker music irc shell on on fnet uh said like okay like let's go to one hour ship compo uh the one hour ship compo shell and then somebody made a sample pack and and that's that's like that was the ship tune scene for a bunch of years um then in the late 90s came a revival of ship music in the demo scene 
uh, about the time when like PC started to take over from the Amiga and Fast Tracker started to gain uh, traction versus Pro Tracker. Uh, people started like rediscovering Shiptune for the third time, uh, but in Fast Tracker and Impulse Tracker instead of Pro Tracker. Uh, which then had even more possibilities of like reverbs and, and 32 channels and, and this completely new ship tune sound appeared. Uh, like I would almost call it like Schlager ship tune. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Schlager. That's a very European No, I'm term. not. So yeah, I was going to add. Yeah, okay. Was, <laughs> exactly uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, that, yeah. It's like, you know, you know, the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. 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 Okay, so the sound of the Eurovision Song Contest in the like 70s, 80s, and 90s is usually referred to as Schlager, mm -hmm. which is German for hits, okay. I think. I... And it's like, uh, I think the group that popularized that sound the most is yeah, ABBA. Yeah. It's like I made the connection yeah. in my mind before you had even explained it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so Chiptunes at that time sounded a lot like ABBA. I think. Uh, if you want to hit the nail on the head on what's chipped and sounded in the late 90s, check out the Rebel Ship Disc 1. But still, still at least this time, like, uh, there was nowhere in my mind when making new ship tunes at this time that, that there would be like a live scene for this, right? I mean, we were so into the demo scene, going to demo parties, competing, uh, making music for crack intros for key generators, right? So the, the whole live aspect of it hadn't even occurred to me at all uh and the only like other uh aspect of ship music than the one we were doing that i was aware of was a net label called uh monotonic which would sometimes release ship music among their other like uh real music yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry releases uh, th that's like the only thing i can think of at the time uh, where ship music existed outside of our little mm -hmm. bubble. I mean, our life was IRC and then shipmusic.new, which was a website uh, entertained by Mac One. If you ever heard of him, uh, I haven't. But uh, like, uh, a, like a legend, legend, uh, Kijian music composer. You had more archive, tracks in space, shiptune.new. Uh, and then the first time I was aware of something else going on was a site called micromusic.net. Does, does that ring a bell? Yes, it does. <laughs> I've, I've spoken yeah. to a number of people where that, that is, this is like the point at which the, the people I've been talking to and what you are, have been saying, like all coalesce into one thing. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that, this is like where, where it starts the fusion for the first time. Like you have, uh, like so many people at micromusic.net came into it from a completely other angle. They were like performance artists uh, of a of a sort, like they were into like art exhibitions and they were doing stuff for museums and and uh, and they were art students and musical students that picked up this like micro music as a fun thing and and the ship tune sound was just like an aspect of a of a larger palette like it was almost like you know the, the four elements of hip hop. Here we yeah. had like the, the four elements of micro music was like chip tune, uh, pixel graphics, uh, circuit be circuit bending, and and like performance art. I, I, maybe the fourth fourth elements. 
I'm, I'm, I'm making up this up <laughs> as, as, as I go along. Um, and that was triggering. Like, I remember we were a bunch of Hippion guys, like, getting a bit triggered. Uh, because, I mean, we have been doing our thing, like, we have been so protective about Chiptune, like, uh, making it survive, preserving it during the, <laughs> during the 90s when the demo scene hated us. And who are these guys? Like, Steve stealing literally like here we are where, where's where's piracy guys right who are these guys stealing our software yeah. <laughs> stealing <laughs> this this, this yeah. thing from us yeah <laughs> exactly uh, uh so, <laughs> so uh, uh and also i mean the demo scene always had a, a strong feeling about selling out as in as in commercial music in any type or form and here were people like selling selling ship tune on, on vinyl or on CD. Like this is like, this is blasphemy. So it was really triggering. So I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, fuck this. No, no way. No. Um, but then I was like slowly led into it by some more open-minded people in the demo scene. Uh, I would especially give credit to go to 80, uh, who wasn't, I mean, he, he could also be, a bit, I mean, uh, negative about it, but not as much as the rest of us. So, uh, and and a few other names like that that kind of made the bridge over to to some of us in the demo scene to make us accept this this new approach um, <laughs> of of like playing ship tune live. I mean, that felt so wrong. I mean, like, what what are you gonna do? Press play on a on a computer on stage? Yeah, like yeah. that's so lame. That's so lame, dude. <laughs> that's yeah. What, uh, you know, you know, we came from so so far away from 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 this the ship tune scene that you you know like we came from the complete opposite, like a, a extremely competitive, uh, enclosed uh, community, uh, and then here was this like happy, uh, inclusive, friendly uh, community that wasn't at all competitive, like. All ship tunes are great. It was like their their proverb. Uh, yeah, there, there there are there are no bad ship tunes. Yeah, that was so strange. So it, it took so many years for me to adapt to that. How? What was the extent of your involvement with this kind of like new? Uh, you know, what 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 was for you a, like a new conception of chip tune? Because, like, for me, from what I've known of you, like. I, I know you through the chiptune scene. Like I that that's kind of like where I I discovered, I guess, like discovered who who you were and, and things like that. But you know, I, I, for me you haven't been like you you're not someone who posts a lot on like the chiptune forums. You're not someone who like releases like chiptune music like as as the the way that like the, like Game Boy music that kind of thing right and you have played live uh, you know a, a bunch I think um but I I it was hard for me to get a, a kind of a conception of like where you sat in like the the chiptune scene that I knew which is like kind of like the uh mid aughts like to mid tens chiptune scene of, of like of that era all right so so prior prior to this i uh, like as an as a teenager i i did a lot of dj uh but not not chiptune like chiptune you you didn't you didn't tell people outside the scene that you did right? <laughs> yeah like that uh, you couldn't like you don't tell anybody yeah <laughs> or they will think you're a, a freak yeah. uh so like drum and drum and bass and and, and house uh stuff 
And uh, so that maybe the, that what saved me to to be able to accept ship music as a as a live as a live uh, entity, right? So I I started using uh, STJ on Atari, which is a like Atari DJ software that Gwem did, uh, which is really cool because then you could like bring two Ataris in like and use them as turntables. And without having to bring monitors, you could just put in your floppies and select your tracks and like sync them up. And that. So like that, that's that, that, that's when it clicked for me. Like, okay, uh, I could do this, but like a DJ set. And then I, I accepted it and embraced it. And at the time we had, I think there were two monthly shiptune events in Stockholm, uh, Micro Disco Stockholm and one called uh, uh, Syntax. Syntax error, syntax terror, maybe yeah. <laughs> syntax terror, <laughs> something like that. Um, and then in the rest of like Scandinavia, there were uh, gigs from time to time, like in the other capitals. Uh, so I got a shiptune gig. This must have been Micro Music Stockholm, like two thousand four, maybe. And I like I did a gig and like I actually enjoyed it. So at that time, I I started like doing as much shipping shows as I could. And we put on, put on some on, uh, some of our own shows, um, uh, in Gothenburg where I lived at the time. Mm-hmm. And also in, in, in some other, other cities in Northern Sweden. Uh, and then I got this idea to move to France, uh, which is a complete other story. I was supposed <laughs> to stay for a couple of weeks, uh, ended up staying for life. Um, and I had the DJ set at a demo party in france this must be 2005 if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. uh somebody have to correct me later um and at that party uh, after my set uh, a guy came up to me and like hey can you come uh, come to my studio here just next doors because i need to talk and uh, that was like um a singer of a big a big reggae group uh, in 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 france mm-hmm. like one of these like first reggae band singing in French. Mm-hmm. He's been there for 20 years. And he wanted me to produce uh, his album. And then I produced an album for another guy from the same group. And then uh, through that, I met an agent, like a, like a professional promoter, like who, who, who was open-minded to this ship tune thing that I was doing on the side, right? And she like started booking like shows for me but there was no like ship tune parties anymore. Like um, we're talking like, you know, EDM festivals, uh, rock venues, like either as an opening act and then more and more often, like as a headliner, uh, in a, in a like normal live scene that had nothing to do with the ship tune scene. So I played a lot like with, with those bands and with my own projects, I must've done like a, cu- a couple of hundred gigs and it was all this completely disconnected from the ship tune scene. So I kind of fell out fell away from it and also because you know uh, somebody said that uh, success shouldn't come to you in your 20s because then you become an asshole (laughs) and that's kind of what happened to me because then like like you know playing in front of thousands of people at at edm festivals uh you know i got in french they would say you got a melon which means you got a really big head Uh, so uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of went estranged a bit from the shiptune scene at that time, and I really regret that. But I remember playing Blip Festival. Uh, what year was that? 
2009 or age? Do you know? I have to uh, uh, we can, we can, you can, we can use the power of the internet to find this out. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll just go. I'll, I'll put it in the notes, or, uh, and then like, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> 2008 it says. So yeah. Oh shit! Early. Yeah. Yeah, early, early, early. <laughs> well, that, that was strange because I don't know. I was in a complete different place at that time in my head, like, like touring with a band in a tour bus. Uh, like I was playing in a rock band uh, with a, we had like with a tour and like I was I was playing a lot of like computers and synthesizers on stage right with a rock band and uh, did Game Boy solos on a couple of tracks <laughs> like <laughs> uh, weird everything in French uh, so when I think back to it I mean great fun but weird uh, wish I'd spent more time in the ship scene. Yeah, so you, you would say that it, it wasn't quite so, like, enmeshed. Like, you, you did have the one Blip Festival appearance, but you were kind of, like, operating simultaneously along as the chiptune scene was happening <laughs> and, and, like, a little yeah. bit separated from it. Exactly, and uh, with a way too big of an ego to maybe accept, you know, most of the kind of chiptune events that, I mean, let's face it, uh, except for a couple of festivals, it was pretty pretty small venues and like you wouldn't get paid and uh, you know it's it's really hard like if you're if you're getting like paid really well for your for your concert and and you got a big ego and then like hey can you like come and pay for free and and pay for your flight and like we'll give you a pizza <laughs> you know it's uh i mean I, I i wish i would have done all these gigs because i would probably have enjoyed them but yeah, and also like the agent, like, no, you can't. How am I going to sell you if you're playing for free? You know, I mean, that's she, she had she, she had a point. Yeah, it, I mean, it sounds like what you're running into now is that is kind of like what happens when you move something that is like kind of like a digital phenomenon, like into like the physical architectures of what the world is. And in this case, it's like the physical music architectures, right? Where all of a sudden you have to deal with like other people, you have to deal with touring, you have to deal with the agents and money. It just becomes this kind of thing where it's hard to navigate that without just becoming fully enmeshed into like what that culture is and, and and things like that and for me part of what made chiptune like the the chiptune scene that i participated in part of what made it so compelling to me was that it seemed like it was trying to get away from those like physical architectures right um it seemed mm -hmm. like you know like no one none of us expected money from it none of us expected to get famous off of it but like that was also the case with the like the demo scene as well right it, it wasn't like you, you you were it was literally doing it for the opposite of money right um exactly yeah but but i think I mean, there, what, there's, what, there are still people in the scene that don't want to talk to me because they think i'm, I'm a sellout yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um i think what happened with like for for me at least the chiptune scene because we already started out like in the realm of like playing live shows and dealing with venues and all of that stuff um part of I, I, what i think happened and we'll get to, to this later is that like we ran into those like issues with like the physical spaces quicker than you know than what you did right you had a whole like 
past where you were able to kind of like develop your creative vision and, and all of that stuff in the demo scene. And it was only like as you kind of started touring and, and doing all of this stuff later on, well, then you have to like you run into these like these, these things with like, yeah, booking and agents and money and all of that stuff. So um, that, that that's what the it feels like we both have a commonality there, right? Where having to deal with all of these like tangible things makes it hard to work on the stuff that you actually want to work on. Just like, you know, exactly. whatever. And hard, to yeah. hard to enjoy it. Or hard to I'm, enjoy I mean, it, yeah. I, yeah. I'm really glad that I like had a manager also at the time. Uh, she had like 20 years of experience like touring the new wave scene. So she like taught me all the like all the workings of everything, uh, which I'm really, really thankful for. Uh, so I, 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 towards my late twenties, maybe I started figuring out it out and that the, the ship tune scene was where I wanted to be, but then it was too late because then what yeah. happened to ship tune, right? Yeah. And you know, for, for me, it was almost like, <laughs> it was almost the opposite where it was like, you know, we were you figured it out right but like at that time but then you were like oh but i wanted to be in this diy space and for for us it was like we're in this diy space trying to figure out how to like get to the big leagues i guess is is how you would say it and then like by the time it felt like we could have gotten there like I was already like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> like, I don't want to keep having to like schmooze with people that I don't really like and like join all of these, like go to all of these different parties. Like I, I'm older. I don't have as much energy. I have two, two cats and a girlfriend at home that I would rather <laughs> yeah. spend time with. So, you know, it, it just kind of like ended up like, I don't, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. You know, I don't know if I have the energy for it. Um, and it, it and it's taking away time from like, writing music and, and wanting to do that stuff so it's it's actually a really interesting like parallel that we we have in in that um regard um so i, I kind of want to move and and talk about like are you like you're not uh, obviously not like touring still right and and um I, I think you kind of like you said you had like stopped um doing like live performances and, and things like that at the time um, but you, at, there's also this, this other projects that you're, you've been working on and, and is still happening now that, that I want to touch on, which is, um, data airlines. Um, because I, I'm, I'm curious about like the, the origins of data airlines and kind of like its creative mission. Um, for me, it was always a really interesting, like label, uh, and, and project because, uh, Again, coming to you from the chiptune scene, I had always been like, oh, chiptune video games, they have a really interesting overlap. And Data Airlines never really seemed interested in video game culture. It was way more interested in like retro internet aesthetics. And that was always like, wow, like there's an overlap, but it's not like it's a different thing. And it's often like more interesting, more interesting than like the video game, like retro video game stuff, because retro video game stuff is like you shouldn't hold them against each other. But I um, mean, now yeah. you're kind of touching <laughs> yeah. on you're you're touching on something that uh, I like. You ans you asked me a question in the beginning of this podcast, and I don't think I really came down to answering it. It and this is related, and it, that's like the difference between my experience from the demo scene in Europe and the ship tune scene in Europe and then your experience in the US scene, right? And one of the I mean there I mean there are so many different differences like uh cultural or whatnot. But one of those like 
kind of nominating stuff, I'd think, uh, is um, the difference between video game culture and computer culture, right? Uh, of course that Nintendo was big in Europe as well. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. But the home computer scene was so much bigger uh, in Europe, like in comparison, like mm -hmm. the number of people who had a Nintendo versus the number of people who had an Atari or a Commodore or a Spectrum or an Amiga. And I think that's a very interesting difference uh, when you look at it because a video game console is a, it's, it's a toy, right? Mm -hmm. It's made, yeah. it's sold as a toy, it's marketed as a toy, where a computer is a serious tool, right? And that, that exactly pinpoints my attitude towards Shiptune versus like the micromusic.net attitude and then the ship scene that came afterwards. Uh, where I started there, it's like for me, shipping was dead serious. I mean, that's it's not it's it's no yoking around. Like right? shipping is it's it's life. It's it's everything. It's the best thing, best thing that happened to music. It should be the only music people should listen. <laughs> you know, that that kind of, like you don't laugh about shipping. Shipping, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and here I'll, came, and here came like these guys who would like put on wigs and, and, and funny costumes to play live and like having a blast and like having a, like taking a piss of it because it was just a game to them because it's, it all came from a toy to them. And even, I mean, now, now I'm talking specifically about the micro music scene in France at the time. Uh, when I talk about, you know, uh, like people like coming from this, um, what would you call it? Uh, there's a German name for it. Um, not a festival, but a carnival, carnival attitude towards shipping. You like to dress up in funny costumes and you're having your, the party of your life. Kind of, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not serious at all. Like, uh, and even though the American, the US scene wasn't like that, it still, it still came from that. Well, it, it, yeah, it has a relationship a toy. because, a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it was a toy. And, and, that, and that was always a video game culture to me. I mean, video game culture became attached to, to that in, in my sense. And I mean, we have, now we're really Europe and US focused, but there's also Japan, of course. And it's interesting to, to, to analyze Japanese chiptune from the beginning, like from Mario to today. Uh, they had a third approach to it, which was what I would say the scholar approach. Like a lot of people working as game music composers at that time were like, they came fresh out of music school and they would like, I mean, if you, if you analyze like a Mario soundtrack or an R-type soundtrack or a Mega Man soundtrack, it's like, okay, it's tune. But, but if you, if you forget that it's tune, it's, it's like, it's like the demo buttons on a Casio keyboard. It's like your rumba. It's like your samba. It's like your, Four on the floor rock is like your jazz preset. Uh, that scholar approach, and it never appealed to me because in the European games and the game music uh, that were made in Europe, especially in the UK at the time, I think most of most of the Atari game music came from the UK. They had completely different influences, right? They would have their influences would be like contemporary synth pop and contemporary like new wave like it it would be like your depeche mod and your um, yeah yeah your joy division and your like italo disco and your like trance music uh and that that just uh that was so much more 
that I mean that was I like with it. Like so I I never I was never into Japanese video game culture to begin with. Like or Japanese I mean it's, it's so intertwined like manga and anime yeah. and well it, it almost feels like it's like legitimized like in a way that it ha- <laughs> it isn't in you know in the west basically right where it's like yeah it, you, the the idea of like you're coming at it from a scholarly perspective like you 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 can go into game music and like be a game musician and that is like a respected thing to do and like you know what i mean like people people take it seriously in in a way that even in the US it, it wasn't taken seriously and and you know I'm sure in, in yeah. Europe as well so exactly so uh, so when we did the data airlines uh like we 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 wanted to do a net label right because we were so inspired by right, monotonic as i mentioned and mono under sub label sub label mono 211 uh, but also, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I mean, we were looking at eight uh, bit peoples. Uh, we were looking at um, ah, I forgot their name. Yeah, there were a bunch of net labels at that time. They were really cool. Chip tune and not chip tune, right? And we wanted to do a net label, and we wanted to make like uh, not commercial, but like a, a, um, a synergy between real. I hate when I say real music. <laughs> true, but, I mean, uh, yeah, like, well, yeah. well it's, like, uh, we can establish a safe space for like your <laughs> your usage of real music. Yeah. But like, there should be there should be ship tune in it, but it yeah. should be there. It should be there uh, for a reason, not only to like put Space Invaders and Pixel Pacmans on the record uh, cover. You know, uh, we didn't want those like video game aesthetics at all we didn't want the the tropies that were around at the time the tropes tropes yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry tropies <laughs> tropes <sorry. laughs> um, um yeah uh, so that's kind of the rules that we set up like this needs to sound professional this needs to sound almost mainstream but we want to add the chip tune to it so kind of maybe maybe as a mission to to to, to for chip tune to reach a bigger audience uh and then i had my elder brother involved and he's a designer by trade uh which meant that our like artistic output in terms of like visuals uh got really serious yeah because yeah. i mean he, yeah and I, I remember in the early days somebody said like guys guys uh the music doesn't fit the design <laughs> at all <laughs> and like I mean, like, yeah, exactly, and that's what we want to. But at the same time, they had a point, <laughs> like this really serious, like Bauhaus, Helvetica type typography art yeah, design, yeah. and then yeah. like a Game Boy track. Just looking at, I mean, just looking at some of the Hello World, like you know, releases. Yeah. It's it, it it's almost like um that artist Tycho um from san francisco it's it's yeah it's just mm-hmm. like super helvetica it's helvetica and like a monolithic like shape on the album cover and that's the exactly. entire thing yeah which yeah. i mean it's, it's it, very it's compelling as a as a visual aesthetic so yeah it's, it's so clear when you look at like the, our first i don't know 10 releases yeah they all look like the music doesn't doesn't match the cover <laughs> it's, it's funny yeah um yeah and so i i like i got to um caught up in, in like curating this label and uh, I got pretty obsessed with it and um, one after another like all the other guys that were there founding it with me like moved on 
for 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 reasons like uh, you know could be anything from musical differences to to yeah, I don't know they they moved on and uh, so then I uh, like carried it on myself and it started to get like out of my hands big uh, especially when we started doing like Wojciech Golsevski makeup and vanity set yeah uh, ogre sound uh, master boot record uh, it was like it I was like pulling like 16 hour days seven days a week uh, but I refused to like take anyone in because I didn't want to like start to employ people because then I would uh, get into all this like tech bro entrepreneur <laughs> shit that I yeah. that I loathe so much and also I didn't want to have like the responsibility yeah like yeah. I mean uh, it's of, a whole it is a whole responsibility yeah yeah to have like employees is it, I mean it's yeah uh, because uh, maybe I would just from one day to another I was like okay fuck this I want to do something else with my life right but you can't do that because then you have people depending on you yeah so I like I tried to put a lid on it a little bit like I didn't want I didn't want to grow I wanted to stay true to to what I like my or, original vision uh and like that's probably where I'm at right now I'm like slowly taking it down mm-hmm, a, yeah. a bunch of notches to to just to just something f- that's fun again right yeah and uh so that I don't have to consider the possibility of commercial success uh and how much to invest in a release like i don't want that aspect at all i want to like i want to release stuff because i like it i mean that seems like it seems like a big commonality with like so much of the chiptune scene like almost everyone i've interviewed uh for this project has had a very similar struggle where the thing that they're investing time and energy into becomes bigger than the, like bigger faster than they thought it would and suddenly it's like oh like i don't know if i can continue doing this without just like you know pull yeah pulling 16 hour days 7 days a week to continue the process or bringing someone mm. in and then suddenly it becomes a commercial endeavor as opposed to like what we wanted to and and so much of the struggle is because of the the roots of of where all of this began is is like anti-consumerist anti-capitalist like um you know DIY stuff and you know, it just it just seems like that that's a thing that just happens with every single person that I've talked to and maybe I'll talk to a, a person where it's totally fine for them but um you know I haven't found that person <laughs> haven't found that person yet yeah I mean it's, it's it's interesting what you're saying because now when you think about it in in all other subcultures that I've engaged with you have these like people who who want really to take off and become really big and they succeed and they become big and they become like the commercialized face of of their genre, right? And we didn't really have that in Shiptune. And maybe it's because because there was such a strong DIY attitude that kind of held people back intentionally. I don't know. Because I can't think of anybody who really, really took off, like who is the commercial face of Shiptune. I mean, like, you know, like Skrillex ruined dubstep or like (laughs) Dead Mouse Mouse ruined Electro House or I don't know. I mean, even, okay, well, even like, you know, I'm not going to say that Anamanaguchi ruined chiptune because I'm not willing to put it out there like that. But, you know, to me, that's like the the most commercial 
you know, I, and you know, the, our conception of uh, the, the U.S. like New York conception of chiptune, Anamanaguchi is like by far and away like the most popular uh, artist of that time. Um, and even they, they like are, it, it's not like they're, you know, playing huge, they're not going and playing Coachella or anything. They're not going and like doing huge festivals and getting millions of dollars. They're, they're still like sticking to the projects that they believe in. Right. Which is, I, I think the, the, at this, at the time of this recording, um, it's the Scott Pilgrim anime that's coming out. And that's just what, those are the kinds of projects that they're doing, like kind of small, smaller scale, um, kind of nerd culture related, but more intimate projects. And, you know, Anamanaguchi to me is the biggest like chiptune person or a chiptune uh, band that came out of uh, the U.S. scene. So it's a little bit like that might represent like the 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 top level of that, and that might be fine uh, you know, to other people. It might not be, but you know that that's kind of it's interesting to compare them with like yeah your Skrillex or with your Dead Mouse, where it's like become super popular and almost like change the genre that they became super popular in for the worse <laughs> and it doesn't seem like Anamanaguchi is like ready to do that <laughs> yet so yeah. yeah i mean they com compared to compared to the names you just mentioned they're still like a what a, a mid a mid-sized band which is really respectable <laughs> because then they're absolutely not sellouts i mean uh, i i'm not i'm not i don't know their story but uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't see the problem like they didn't ruin ship tune <laughs> like Skrillex ruined dubstep yeah uh, they <laughs> yeah uh maybe it was close to happen i mean I, i've i've put out some releases on data airlines where i was like okay this is so well produced uh like music wise so well composed so well produced uh that like we're maybe taking it a bit too far and it's just a question i mean i was I remember thinking it back in 2015 like it's just a question of time before hip tune will be like relaxed eyes yeah <laughs> by some yeah. by somebody like doing this too and it will blow up and it never did and i'm really happy that it didn't uh it would it would really suck to 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 uh, have that like like yeah grudge have, have that dynamic towards, happen with with you know yeah and then have that grudge to an, towards an artist that after all is just like a successful you know who are we to judge right but yeah yeah still, it's, i mean it's hard, you know it's I, hard not to <laughs> Yeah, I, I, as much as, you know, uh, you can say what you will about Skrillex, but, like, I don't think he, like, set out to ruin dubstep, you know? <laughs> like, it's not like he's, like, he, he has this master no, plan, like, step one to ruin dubstep, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, of course he didn't. It's just that poor, uh, uh, the, it's, it's a very thin line between authenticis, authentic, Authenticity. <laughs> Thank you. Authenticity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's complicated syllables. Uh, it's, a, it's a thin line, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, some people see it, some people don't. Some people see it and cross it uh, as much as they want because that's, that's where they want to go, right? Uh, Schlager is a great example of that. Like, that's so unauthentic, right? And, and any subculture genre, underground genre, I mean, there is a line, right? There is this line and you can start to push it and eventually you will go too far. And the worst thing that can happen to that scene is then uh, you blow up like, and then, uh, 
don't know if this uh, that makes sense, but no, yeah, I mean, I I, I see it, and and this I, I feel I do feel like this is like a pretty good segue into what the title question of this podcast is, um, and I know it's going to be complicated for you because you know chiptune means something so drastically different to you than it does to me, and you have the this this entire history of uh, working in the demo scene and and you know being creative within there. Um, but to me, where, where I'm, and, and, you know, this is kind of like me posing the questions, uh, and, and giving the context that I had in the intro, uh, in the intro episode, um, where it feels like chiptune, like, had an apex, and, and then it kind of slowly, it, it kind of declined at some point in terms of just, like, this, this idea of, like, these live shows, like, uh, you know, big live shows and, and things like that. Um, uh, you know, like these, these new artists with, you know, coming into the scene with like Game Boy music and, and stuff like that. Um, it does to me, it does feel like there has been at some point a decline of interest in, in that kind of thing. I, I'm not like trying to declare it like, oh, no one's ever going to be interested in chiptune again, but I do feel like something is like changing within it. And I'm not entirely sure like what that is. So I, I guess like given, given what we've talked about over like the last i don't know like hour and 45 or something like that um you know do you, do you have a sense of like what you think happens to chiptune as a whole um i, I guess in in the more like cultural phenomenon aspect of it as opposed to like the the methodological process part of it mm. so what happened to chiptune uh i mean i still make it daily but i'm back I'm back in the roots making Kijin music, right? Mm -hmm. And I love it. I mean, I, I love every second of. Uh, I can't wait until Racer is gonna crack a new game so I can make a new <laughs> tune. Like, yeah, I love it. Uh, I'm back where I want where I want to. But I, I completely get what you're like from your experience. Like, what happened, Shitian? It must feel like such a bummer. Uh, but maybe, I mean. Maybe you think that I'm older than I am, but we, we, we're almost kind of a similar age. And part of what happened to Shiptune is just that we came out of our 20s and into our 30s, right? If that makes sense. And live music as a scene as a whole, I think is something that belonged to the young. Uh, if you look at where the old people, where the 40-year-old, 50-year-olds are in the live music scene, they're usually pretty gray <laughs> yeah. in their attitude. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing this when I was touring, because everybody I was touring with in, in my bands were always older than me, right? And was always like complaining about the opening act, don't know what they're doing. You know, oh, I hate these kids today. Na 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 na. And they're getting drunker and drunker and doing more and more drugs. And like you know, and I I, I just realized that I didn't want to to become that way. And I think that's something of like uh, that's that's the story story of life of going from your twenties to your thirties. And <laughs> in a certain way, ship tune when you experienced it was kind of in its twenties. Like literally, I mean, Shiptune started in in the eighties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right then. So like, yeah. Shiptune, yeah. So Shiptune went into its thirties and like got old and grumpy and got kids and like stopped stopped going out, and that's when your impression of what's big 
like what subculture, what genre is big, starts to fade because mm-hmm. if there's not a live scene, if you don't have the young and upcoming music journalist that uh, writes an article in in Wired or in in Vice about you know the 100th article they hacked uh, Game Boy to make music. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, if that stops coming out, you have the impression that the scene is dead, right? Mm-hmm. Or dying, or decaying, or whatever you want. But and I tried to explain this to my very trans trans sensitive elder brother that that's not really how it works. If you look at it uh, at a more cynical perspective of consumation as not not in for necessarily as in buying stuff but consuming it as in eating eating shit music <laughs> listening to it rather uh yeah i mean shit music is life but don't go there uh, <laughs> <laughs> um is that it doesn't necessarily correlate your 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 experience of like ship tune is blowing up it's really big uh newspapers are writing about it uh there are shows being put up everywhere doesn't necessarily correlate with the amount of people listening to Shiptune. Because as a label head, I guess I can call myself, uh, more people than ever are listening to ship music on Spotify, on, mm-hmm. on Deezer, on Apple Music, on, on Bandcamp, whatever. Uh, like ship, the Shiptune tag on Bandcamp is more active than ever. Uh, it's just that there are no news articles about it anymore, and there are no nobody putting up shows anymore, and that like thirty to forty to fifty percent of people in the crowd that doesn't come from the scene that you need for a scene to survive when you put up shows, they don't come out anymore. Uh, maybe because you didn't so spread out, maybe because they were more trend sensitive than 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 my elder brother. Uh, so of course that aspect of the scene is is gone and maybe there will be a revival in 10 years or five years when whatever next generation picks up and we're not going to be able to be in control of of their narrative of of what shiptune is to them uh but i mean i don't think we should have any regrets uh we should still continue to to love the to love the music for 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 what it is which is like the best the best thing that ever happened to music yeah I mean that, that that's a really great way to put it, and and I, I do think that part of what I've discovered over the course of like however many interviews I've done, even just like the you know even now, is I, I think that yeah, what you're saying is is correct to me. Where it's like this this there was a disconnect between my conception of what the scene was and what was popular and like, you know, just my read of everything, right. In terms of the scene was probably wrong at the time. Right. And my read of the scene now is probably wrong at, you know, right, right now. So um, I, I guess the, the, for me, the question is, is kind of for this episode becoming like, what role does like the live aspect play in a particular music scene? And for this one, it's even more of a, a complex question because the roots of the music scene have ha- has always been like competitions, but no like live performance, right? That that was something that was introduced to the scene later on. So like. I, I that that's kind of where I'm coming from is just like does 
does chiptune continue without a without a live component does it return to its roots of just of like demo scene uh where it's just something that you experience as like a digital phenomenon uh and and like no people stop performing it because um covid happened and people don't go to live shows anymore and the only live shows that you go to are like giant dj sets and you know enormous stadium rock bands you know like that that's like where where I'm seeing this trending toward is like chiptune kind of returning to its roots and becoming and and I'm hearing a lot of people, including you, say that like yeah I'm just gonna I'm going back to what I used to do and I'm enjoying it you know like more than I ever did um, and it doesn't need to be a live thing anymore because uh, you know we're not <laughs> we're not young anymore and, and we don't have the time and energy to do that but also like chiptune never had to be a live thing right that that's why the demo scene has kind of like continued as long as it i mean it's still around right it, people <laughs> games still need to be cracked so the demo scene <laughs> yeah. is always going to be there and and so that that's kind of like where i i'm i'm landing right now just like in this conversation is like questioning the idea of whether live performance is like even necessary I mean, and, and and it is like necessary in some ways right it brings a lot of energy it brings a lot of new people in you know that kind of thing but i i guess i'm trying to like reimagine what the role of like live performance is in chiptune so um to hear you say like yeah i'm i'm going back to making key gen music and you know it's it's still here and and the the production methodologies are always going to be there so it's never going to go away um, that that makes me, you know, it, it makes me feel good good about where I've landed in terms of like my music, um, where I'm kind of doing just stuff at home and it is really fun and the few shows I play are are fun for for me to play. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> but but I, I I think you're hard on yourself. Uh, I don't think you're wrong. I, I mean, your your experience of of, of chip tune is is your own, right? And and nobody can take that away from you. I mean, my experience of chip tune is not uh, is not the Bible. I mean that's that's what I that's from my lens and and you experienced from from your from your lens and your story about chiptune uh, is very reminiscent of many chiptune scenes because I feel like the chiptune was a bit weird the, the live scene that it, as it was never really in sync like in the early aughts uh, it was really big in Scandinavia uh, with weekly monthly parties then it moved on like a bit further south to Europe, to, to Italy and France, to the Benelux. Uh, then the US scene, who had like been working on it, and then that suddenly exploded and become big with, with, with Blip Festival. And then it moved over to to the west coast of the US, and it became suddenly became big in Australia, right? With where, where the Square... What's the name? Square Sound, yeah. yeah. Square Sound. Uh, confused with Squarespace. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, Square Sound. You know, it, it was never, ever, like, it never happened at the same time. So in every one of these countries that I just mentioned, there are people who are having the exact same experience as you did. But if you put that experience on a timeline, uh, you, don't, you, you won't sync up. You will have, like, three, four, five, six, seven, I don't know, eight years apart. Yeah, like, yeah. From, from I, when I, I mean, you that's... feel sheep music peak. Yeah, that's partially why I phrased the question of the podcast as I did, right? As opposed to being like, Chiptune is dead, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, cause to me, it's, it's like a, 
it's an experiential thing. Like, it's definitely a personal project of mine. Like, I want to figure out, like, what my relationship with it is like and why that's changed. But I also feel like I can't answer that in isolation. And I also don't feel like I'm... Yeah, yeah, I don't feel like I'm in sync with what chiptune is in 2023 right now, right? Because as I'm saying this, right, there's a, you know, there's a new monthly in Brooklyn um, at Wonderville. MAGFest is still happening. This is all in the U.S., right? MAGFest is still happening and there are still shows happening in the U.S. So it's definitely not like gone away. So, you know, and and this is one of those things where the answer changes every time I, I think about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 still getting I'm still getting requests for gigs. Like, yeah, like, like yeah. I turned down because I don't play live anymore. So yeah, of course it's of course it's happening. So to answer your question, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, does it does the scene need to be live? Like, um, I, I was a bit harsh on like the performance art of the micromusic.net generation of of cheap tuners, but um I'd, I'd prefer that kind of live scene the one that you're talking about where people come out to enjoy ship tune because that's the best part of a live community uh one of the reasons why i stopped playing live is like when you became uh, i don't want to refer to myself as as famous because i never was but uh, but i mean what i'm trying to say is when you come to the stage in your career where people come out to see you right because they have a couple of songs that you did that they love, that they listen to a lot, uh, like you have your hits. Then you enter the stage of your career where you don't have any choice but to shut up and play the hits. And that kills the, everything that's fun with, ship, with, live, with performing live. It's like you have this anxiety hanging over you uh, before every set like okay am i gonna disappoint somebody tonight by not playing their favorite chip tune that they like drove two hours and paid 15 euros to get in to see uh and then then that 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 kills everything that's fun with playing live you can't really uh, play your latest tunes and have a blast and and do a performance art like you're just a sort of like human jukebox that needs to play this and that's when when i stopped playing live and just continue to DJing. that was such a revelation to everything that's boring with playing live because i mean on top of it chip tune is literally you press play right you know what i mean i mean i'm a bit harsh but uh so at least in a in a group like anna managuchi i mean they those guys are lucky because at least they have they are in a group they are in a band and they play instruments together so they're kind of having a blast uh, <laughs> just by performing. Maybe we should be thankful for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, I mean, I, I, I think that like thinking about my, you know, quote unquote career uh, in Shiptune, I, I think that one of the things that I'm like retroactively thankful for is that I've, I never got big enough for people to come to shows and be like, play this one song that you wrote like 10 years ago or whatever. Um, because I, I, because I was able to treat every show like the way, you know, like, like your ideal show, right? Where I just come and I play my latest, th uh, my latest, uh, my latest tracks and I'm able to perform them in a way that like I want to because there's no expectation as to how they will be performed. And so I was able to like dictate 
almost every single show that I played in that way. Um, and it's hard, it's weird to think about it now because I remember back at the time I was so like, I wanted to, to, you know, be the famous person or, you know, like relatively famous, right? I wanted to have that sense of like, oh, people did, did want to hear like whatever track I made, but as I got older, yeah, it don't, became, don't, don't re-roll in the 20s. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it, it's just, it, it is so much like the, the just what growing up is like. So, I don't know. I, I think that like hearing you say that is, is like making me, again, like feel feel better about where I was. And, and you know, I don't think I would change anything about my my history um, because, you know, it, I, I, I'm pretty comfortable with who I am and where I am today, but it's always interesting to kind of like think back on it and then compare those experiences with other people who, you know, who kind of were in the same proximity, but had different histories and, and things like that. So, so yeah. Anyway, it, it's been, you know, I, I think that that's a, a really good place to end it. Um, it's, you know, it's did been, I answer all your question? It's, it's, it feels like I, I left a lot hanging. Well, look, I, uh, unless you want this episode to be like six hours long, uh, <laughs> I think, no, I, I think that we, we actually, this is a, a place to, I, I think that this is a good place to, to leave it. Um, and who knows, like maybe there's a part two in the works if people have, you know, more questions, but, uh, you know, I, I think that like that, I, I could always talk about Triptune. I can always talk about like music scenes like this. For as long but, as you want. <laughs> yeah, as long as I want. But like, I gotta keep, I gotta keep people's uh, uh, attention spans in mind <laughs> when it comes to exactly. this stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, it's it's been fantastic to talk to you. This I, I feel like this has been such an interesting conversation and and a surprisingly warm one, considering you know like where we just have completely not opposite but different histories. Um, in in terms of like what the scene is and what our conception of the scene is. Yeah, but as I said, like every perspective counts. You know, I mean, nobody has a monopoly on, on their on their interpretation of, of. And and that's why this podcast is an interview one, and not just me like <laughs> going on and being yeah. like, this is what I think Chiptune is. So, um, thanks so much for 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 agreeing to be on here, and and I'm you know I'm really excited to to release this one and, and get it out to people. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, um, I'm really glad you had me. And uh, yeah, anytime you want to talk about shit, you know, I'm game. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, as I was so thankful to have someone as inviting and knowledgeable as Doug Mood on the show. What happens to Chiptune is made by me, Space Pal. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by giving it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or by simply sharing it with the people who would find it interesting. Thanks for listening.